Hey, Bev. Hey, Sam and Brittany. Hi. Oh, hey, Brittany. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> I can't do the joke anymore about like leaving the door open because it's played out. So I just improvised. You guys just right left there. it open way too many times now. We so. did. It's like how my mom always asked, like, were you born in a barn if I left the door open? So, you know, it kind of goes along with our theme. <laughs> right. I feel like my door is always open. So, yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> well, welcome. So this is uh, the famous Brittany that is referred to as Bev's Brittany in our regular episodes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and she's also farm to table mama on Instagram. Yay. Yay. So go give her a follow if you haven't already. But um, I guess we'll go around the room and say what everybody's drinking. So Bev, what are you drinking today? Oh, I haven't even gotten around to opening it yet. Oh, well, now you. There it goes. (laughs) (laughs) So this is called Dirt Track Kolsch. And it's a German style Kolsch that was brewed by Moeller Brew Barn, which is located in Maria Stein, Ohio. And it's a can that has a rooster on it. Oh, so I thought it was so perfect. appropriate for today. Very. <laughs> I love it. What are you drinking, Sam? I have a Samuel Adams Black Lager. Mm, um, yeah. Obviously from Sam Adams, wherever they're at. Is that Boston or something? Yes, Boston. Yep, that sounds right. Yes, yes. And it's pretty delicious. It's got hints of cocoa in it. So it's a good fall mm. beer. And it has a it has a like a raven on it or something, so it's a bird, so that counts, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a fowl, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> and what are you drinking, Brittany? I am actually drinking. Uh, it's called Kamalungma by Jackio's uh, Brewery. It's in Athens. It's really close to me. It's a um, honey nut brown ale, and it has like wildflower honey in it. It's really good. It's actually a good fall beer too. Even though it doesn't feel like fall today, I'm drinking fall in a can. (laughs) (laughs) Good choice, picking a Jackie O's brew. I always, uh, or I don't always, but I tend to pick uh, one of their beers as well. So, Yeah, they really do have some good beers. And their cans are like really awesome and artistic looking. So they're always like draw my attention. And uh, the drinks this episode are sponsored by Ashley Kiernan. So cheers, lady. If you are a new listener and you don't know what this is about, a lot of our drinks are sponsored by Patreon listeners. So there will be a link um, to the Patreon in the show notes. But thank you, Ashley. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. (laughs) Woohoo. Brittany, we're so excited that you decided to join us for this episode. Um, In case anybody hasn't figured it out by the title of it, we're going to talk about what it's like to raise your own meat on the homestead. And I know Brittany has raised a ton of different types of animals, so we thought she'd be fun to bring on and talk to us. So, like, tell us a little bit about your farm. What are some of your farm goals? Um, Why do you farm? Yeah, sure. Well, (laughs) thanks so much for having me on here. I'm really excited. I've never done a podcast before, but... It's going to be fun. Um, Our farm is Simple Roots Farm, and um, we're just a small six-acre farm in southeastern Ohio. We're really close to Hocking Hills area, so it's really pretty out here. Um, But we raise pastured chicken, pastured ducks, pastured rabbits, and we have um, Scottish Highland cows that we're going to be breeding soon and raising for beef. And then I have a large market garden uh, where I grow mostly heirlooms. 
Um, and I think we just kind of started out as like a hobby farm and with a goal of like raising and growing food for our just our family and we've this just this past year has started turning it into a small business and opening up um you know our market garden for our small community here as well so i think that our goal is to just grow and become more self-sufficient and improve in our sustainability we like to grow um, all of our own feed for our animals eventually and also incorporate some solar power into our system we're starting out small but we're trying to you know grow each year a little bit at a time which is super cool i love um that goal of trying to raise uh the food for your animals as well like you can create this whole self-sufficiency loop like right there on your farm yeah, it's it's kind of magical, really, when when you start to get deeper into um, sustainability, just to see um, where you can take your farm and not rely on um, other sources. Being able to grow your own feed here for your animals is just like the next step for us, and we're really excited to start on that journey. So, um, which animals do you raise specifically for butchering on your farm currently? We butcher ourselves. We, we use the uh, Cornish Cross broilers. We butcher those. We raise them on pasture. Um, the same with meat ducks. It's the Pekin breed. And um, we just started raising uh, New Zealand rabbits, meat rabbits, on pasture as well. And we, we butcher all of those animals ourselves here on the farm. Which is super neat. I got to join um, Brittany once to help her um, butcher a set of her Peking ducks. Did I pronounce that right? For some reason, I always call them pecking ducks. But I... well, it it depends uh, demographically where you are. People call it different names. I've called it pecking before, and people corrected me. So now I'm like, I never know which way to say it. <laughs> Isn't that funny? How like sometimes you just can't make anybody happy. It's strange. (laughs) So um, out of the animals that you raise on your farm for butchering, which ones do you find um, to be the easiest? Well, we just did our first round of meat rabbits, and I have to say that they were probably, in terms of processing and butchering, they were the easiest. Um, And I don't mean to jump right in to be gory, but they were the least messy and... um, Chickens and ducks are very vocal, so there wasn't any of that during the processing time when it came to the rabbits. Mm. And um, I think it went the smoothest so far out of everything that we've raised. You know, that totally makes sense to me after doing the ducks and the chickens on my own farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and also all of the feathers. Um, yes. There's something to be <laughs> said about an animal that you can skin um, rather than trying to <laughs> pluck every individual feather out. Oh, yes. Plucking can be quite the task. <laughs> um, were Did you find any of the animals to be like more cost effective than another for your first go round on them? Yeah, so far. I mean, we try to keep a rough estimate, you know, number wise so that we know what we're getting into. And so far, our meat chickens are the most cost effective Um, We try to do two or three rounds of them a year, and right now we have a system down pretty good to where we're ending up um, with $1.50 per pound 
for pastured oh, wow. chicken, which is excellent. That's really great. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've ever purchased went to purchase pastured chicken before, but it can go, I've seen it as low as $4 per pound and I've seen it as high as seven, um, in our area. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got that down pretty good. I think so far that they are, we get the most meat for the least amount of money when it comes to the Cornish, Cornish cross, uh, broilers. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I I think I normally pay five or six dollars a pound for pastured chicken around Mm -hmm. here. Um, And my first go round, I spent like three dollars and 50 cents a pound Mm -hmm. for our Cornish crosses. But I don't think I did it very efficiently. I made a lot of mistakes and had to buy like a lot of extra gear because I didn't plan ahead properly. (laughs) Yeah, well, your your first time um, around, you know, you're kind of always in the hole anyways, because you have to purchase all your supplies initially and you have to build the shelter so you can't really count that into your numbers but yeah I, I know what you mean once you once you now that you have your setup you know you can work on getting that cost down if if that's your goal yeah that's totally true so we I know Sam and I get this question a lot um, people want to know like when you decide to you know create your own home butchery, how do you get over the cute factor yeah. of the animals that you're raising? <laughs> Especially the bunnies. <laughs> yeah. I have Polish rabbits and, um, and the dads in New Zealand and the Polish, they did what bunnies do. And now I'm just breeding like the smaller Polish that are coming out of that. But like the cuteness, even like how fat they are. <laughs> It's kind of adorable. So that one, I can, in my brain, I can understand like the meat chickens because they just look kind of miserable at the end. And then ducks, I can kind of understand. But the bunnies, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I was actually a little bit um, worried about that when we first decided to go ahead with the rabbits. Um, I think it's just something that you have to wrap your mind around way ahead of time and prepare yourself for. You know, I wasn't raised on a farm, so I, I didn't butcher a lot of animals. My dad was a big hunter, so I was always, you know, around butchering of, of venison and deer. So um, that kind of prepared me, I think, in a way, uh, started me out, you know, at, I think I was maybe two years old, the first time I remember my dad butchering a deer. So um, I think that helped me, but I think if you're getting in this as, you know, a new a new person who, you know, you've never raised your own meat before or been around that, I think you just have to start preparing yourself ahead of time mm-hmm. and try to get comfortable with it. Um, and I think it helps, like, if you really do your research on, like, the fastest, most humane and ethical way to butcher. And, you know, it doesn't always go as as smoothly as you would like it to go, but I think that um, nine times out of ten, it's probably easier than what you thought it was going to be. Bev, would you agree? Like when you came to do the the ducks, do you think it was easier than what you thought it was going to be? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I thought it was a lot easier than like in my head, I had built it up as like being something that I was going to be like so nervous and worried about that I wasn't going to do it right. And, you know, when I went and helped you guys with your ducks, when I left, I thought about it and I was like, wow, that was way that that just went really smoothly. I didn't have any like qualms or squeamishness about it. But then I was like, well, wait, these weren't my ducks. 
So I didn't raise your ducks from day one. So then I started getting nervous again. But, you know, it was funny when we had our chickens here. I at first I was like, well, I'm going to be really standoffish with them. I'm not going to hold them. I'm not going to like do this stuff with them. But then after they were here for a few days, I treated them just like I did the egg laying chickens. Like Mm -hmm. we picked them up. We moved them around. We gave them treats. They got lots of outside time and lots of playtime because I just decided that we wanted to raise happy meat on our farm. And part of that was like not emotionally shutting off the animals that we were going to be butchering, if that makes any sense. Totally. Yes. Um, Yeah. I just I thought that we would just stand up, be standoffish from them. But it turns out that we weren't. We just but the kids were fine with it too. I was totally expecting them to be like, oh no, we can't eat our chickens. But now when I make dinner, my kids can tell the difference between one of our chickens or a store-bought chicken. Like they were eating oh, something yeah. the other day and they're like, they're like, this isn't one of our chickens. And they're like chewing with like this disgusted look on their face. I'm like, oh this chicken God. tastes just fine. <laughs> yes, there's definitely a huge difference in terms of quality. And, you know, I... I think that when I first decided this to do this, I wasn't sure how I would take the whole processing thing. And um, I'll have to admit the first round of chickens that we um, butchered, I'm pretty sure that my husband did all of the um, actual dispatching and I helped with, you know, the plucking and everything else once, once there, you know, the death was already done. Then I jumped in, but I think during our second round, I really felt compelled to do my part because I feel like here I am, um, you know, we are, we are meat eaters here in our family. And it, I just felt like such a sense of responsibility to go ahead and take part in, you know, what I'm, what I'm raising here and make sure that, you know, I understand fully, um, you know, where my meat comes from and what it means to actually put the meat on the table. So that's why I jumped in and it does get easier over time. However, like you never, it's never a day that processing day is never a day you look forward to. Oh yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. And I think that's important to point out too, because I get the feeling sometimes that, you know, people on the other side of the fence that don't eat as much meat or don't meat at all, or don't eat meat at all. Think that, and I'm not saying all because I don't like to pigeonhole a group of people into one, you know, one little tiny uh, thought. <laughs> yeah, of, we just make generalizations here. Yeah, we yeah. <laughs> that's the word I was looking for, generalization. Uh, but, you know, sometimes they'll say, like, how could you, you know, look at that face and do that? And it's like, just because you're taking that life doesn't mean that you're not recognizing that you're taking that life. You know what I mean? Like yes, a lot exactly. of thought, a lot of thought goes into it. You know, a lot of blood, sweat and tears goes into getting the animal to that point to feed your family and you're doing yeah. it in a way that's more sustainable for the environment um, than, you know, those big meat factories where, you know, the poor chickens are all crammed in there together. It's, you know, it's just better overall if you're going to eat meat to be that, to have that level of awareness, in my opinion. And that's something I'd like to work towards too. Right. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, the biggest part of of raising our own meat was to really ensure that we um, didn't waste as much. Because when you don't process your own meat, you're not really sure. We can't really say for sure, you know, where everything goes in terms, like once your meat gets to the store, what happened to the rest of 
of that animal. You know, so we really try hard here to use, utilize every part of the animal that we can, and we make bone broth and stock, and, you know, we try to use every part of the animal so that nothing is wasted, and I think raising our own meat has just made us appreciate it, every part of the animal, so much more. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think it was an episode or two ago, I was talking to Bev about, like, for some reason, I just had this realization standing in front of, like, the chicken, you know, poultry section of the meat of the grocery store and just like seeing like 12 chicken breasts and like one thing. And then I'm like, this is not one chicken. Like this is multiple chickens, but it's just part of them. So where's the rest of the chicken? And then you look up and see like, you know, 24, you know, chicken wings, (laughs) you know, it's just, it, it, you, it desensitizes you from realizing where it's coming from. Yeah. I I think that's the biggest part of why we're doing what we're doing is because we wanted our boys so badly, um, we have two toddlers, and we wanted them to really get a grasp on where their food was coming from. Because I think it's a lot of things that people people just don't think about it anymore. People are very removed from where their food comes from. And I think that's a, the biggest part of why there is so much waste when it comes to food. Because people don't think about that. They're not taking, they don't have the responsibility of putting their food on their plate. So, you know, that's just out of, out of sight, out of mind. And I just kind of wanted something a little bit different for my boys and for my family, just because I feel so passionately about it. No, that, that totally makes sense. Yeah, I've got a whole um, bag full of chicken feet in my freezer because I knew that the chicken feet were going to be something that was useful. Um, I'm <laughs> yeah. not really sure what exactly to do with them yet. But yeah, I saved all of our chicken feet because I was like, I'm not going to throw these away. These are This is perfectly good food. I just have to figure out how to use it right. And I think I'm going to end up oh, u- yeah. making broth out of them. Yeah, bone broth would be really good or just even stock would be great. You get all a lot of use out of that and get you through the winter and you know that's such a huge immune booster also if you make bone broth oh yeah I love making bone broth when I've made a whole chicken that's what I do with all of the chicken carcasses I throw them into the crock pot and I usually Mm -hmm. let them cook for like two or three days you can tell when they're ready because the bones will be like nice and soft and brittle and then I let the chickens eat the bones and the remnants that came out of the broth when I strain it um, because the chickens will go eat the rest of it Yeah, that's perfect. I mean, it's full circle. You just can't get any better than that. In terms of, you know, um, being a meat eater, like there's just, that's the perfect situation. I understand how um, people who don't eat meat can can maybe be, think this is off-putting, but I just feel like if you're going to eat meat, you should use utilize the animal to the fullest extent possible and that's that's a great example of how to do it i also have a couple of pig heads sitting in my freezer that i haven't figured (laughs) out what to do with someday i'm gonna make head cheese but (laughs) wait how do you how do you what is head cheese i don't know what that is so um head cheese is when you um you boil down the head of the pig and all of like the meat and stuff um falls off of it and all of the fat um, and you take the skull out and you kind of like put the meat and the fat in like a casserole dish and then let it sit and harden in the fridge and it turns into like this gelatinous meat. It's not really cheese at all. It's it's like meat casserole. I don't know. <laughs> oh boy. But it well, tastes really good. I don't know how else to, to me, describe so it. I'm I feel really bad though with because I have a I have a Juliana pig that lives in my house, 
<laughs> so I don't think I could do that and feel okay about it. <laughs> He'd be like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, what is that? <laughs> no, he gets really excited when he smells bacon. And I made ground sausage yesterday to put in some queso and he was going nuts. So it's like, oh my gosh, Hamlet, no. <laughs> So, Brittany, when you um, are having a processing day, are your kids getting involved yet? I know your kids are younger. Yeah, they um, are. Um, uh, Tucker is four and Easton just turned three, but they we've always involved them uh, since day one. Um, we just never, like, shied them away or made any of the process taboo to them and it just doesn't phase them they're not at all traumatized by processing day and they jump right in and help and they understand um what's going to happen anytime we bring a new animal on the farm we explain to them you know eventually we're going to eat this animal or we're raising this for food and they just help with all of it and you'd be surprised probably most people would most people are when they find out about it how comfortable they are with the situation and other people's are are just appalled by the fact that they're involved with it but i just really wanted them to get the sense of where their food came from so that they would have such a respect for what's on their plate and i think that by starting them out like this um it has helped now i've never been in the situation where you know, like say you have a 12 year old and you decide to raise your food and process it. I don't know how they would take it if they've never been around it before, but my boys have been around it from the beginning since they were very young. So they're pretty used to it by now and they can, they are very knowledgeable in terms of processing. Which is really good. You know, um, we had intended to get our kids involved. Um, yeah, our son is 13 and then Aurora turned seven in just a couple of weeks. Um, but we weren't really sure how to get started on getting them involved. Like we just explained it to them at first and they were here when we did it, but we didn't have them help. Um, mm-hmm. because we just, we were like, there's kind of a lot of blood and there's kind of a right. lot of like stuff going on. And also my husband and I, we barely had any idea what we were doing. So we like, <laughs> didn't need the kids around like witnessing the mistakes that we made. So we were like, for now, why don't you guys just like hold off and we'll figure out how to get you guys involved someday. But since they're enjoying eating the meat and they can tell the difference between our raised meat and the regular grocery store meet, I think now we're at a good spot to start figuring out how to get them involved in it. Um, Because the first one, they were just kind of like, what are you guys doing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and we want to try with meat chicken starting next year, probably in the spring. And I'm not sure like how my stepchildren will react because they're 11 and nine. I think the boy will be fine. But our 11-year-old's, my 11-year-old stepdaughter, I'm not too sure about her. (laughs) So that'll be interesting. It might push her to be a vegetarian. I don't know, but we'll find out. (laughs) It's it's hard. I can't imagine, you know, trying to start that. And, you know, once they've already, you know, just, I just can't imagine starting that late because I've, I've never been in that situation. But I feel like, you know, just even talking to them beforehand, you know, preparing them for it would help a ton. And just getting them involved in the littlest parts of it would probably help. Also, you know, just even taking care of the chickens, or maybe that would be worse. I don't know. I don't have advice <laughs> yeah, for, I don't for know older either. children. <laughs> They like to go outside and pick them up and carry them around because we have little, you know, bandit who's part of the mascot and our logo. 
And he's just so, he's like a pocket rooster and they carry him around. So I'm not sure if they'd be able to know the difference between like an egg laying flock Mm -hmm. and a meat flock. So Mm -hmm. it would be some education. Like I try to explain to them like when they're not finishing their food on their plate. Like, you know, you're eating chicken right now. That's what's running around outside. You know, that chicken gave their life for you. Um, you, do you want to finish it now? And it kind of clicks after a while. So it might not be as bad as I'm thinking it would be, but I'm preparing myself for a potential <laughs> meltdown, <laughs> even like six months from now. <laughs> yes. And it's, it's completely understandable. And I will say, you know, processing is not for everyone and that's fine. You know, that's what uh, small farms like mine are for. You know, if you don't want to do your own processing and raise your own meat, then, you know, I'd be happy to do that for somebody because I feel so passionately about making sure, you know, the animals that we eat have the best life while they're, you know, having the life and what you have on your table is, you know, something you should be proud of. So mm-hmm. I totally understand when people say, I just can't do it. Like I, there's, I have no judgment toward that whatsoever. I, that's completely understandable. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, one thing I know Sam and I have talked about before is um, one of the things that we've noticed about ourselves, and I don't know, this might be true for you also, Brittany, is like I'm finding that I'm eating less meat and I'm definitely a lot less wasteful now that I have a bigger like picture idea of where everything comes from and how hard it is to raise everything. Like we're not eating a whole chicken as a family of four anymore at dinner. Like a whole chicken can last us like at least two, sometimes three meals, like depending on how hungry everybody is and what exactly we're doing with it. But we're definitely like stretching the meat farther rather than just like eating it all just because it seems like it's so abundant when you buy it in a package. Exactly. It's so easy to go to the grocery store and just, you know, pile your cart full of meat, which is, you know, I'm not, I'm not throwing any judgment out there, but what, when we raise our own meat and we make a goal to just eat what we raise, then we do make it go further and we make sure that we don't waste as much and we try to utilize all of that animal. And it's been quite a long time. I will say that it's probably been, at least a year and a half since we've bought any meat from the store and for me that was like the biggest goal because we are immediate i mean i married a boy from kentucky so you can imagine (laughs) he's like meat and potatoes and my boys like me also you know i try to sneak in the veggies but i'm still working (laughs) on that so just getting to the point where we were self-sufficient in terms of our meat was a huge goal for me because, you know, it, it deals with, like we were talking about, you know, you're actually taking a life for that meat. So I wanted it to, you know, mean something. Oh, yeah. And, you know, this is this can be true for people that even purchase meat from like a small farmer like yourself. Um, I know it costs more to buy from a small farm, but you can like see like the heart and soul and work that goes into raising that meat and it's healthier. It's more environmentally friendly. It's more sustainable. So the extra cost is totally worth it. But when you're being less wasteful with it or you're letting it stretch multiple meals, that can help offset the cost of buying better quality meat from a small producer. Exactly. It it does take a little preparation and some meal planning and you have to be willing to get in the kitchen and kind of like do some recipe development or and try new things and 
and be prepared, you know, to, sp I, I think the majority of the time that I spend, um, outside of the farm is in the kitchen because I'm trying to make sure I use everything that I'm growing and I'm not, I'm not wasting any of it. So it does take up a huge chunk of time, but at the end of the day, um, when you put that on the table for your family, for me, it's, it's well worth the time that I sink into it. And, you know, we've got one more question for you today. Um, you know, we're a drinking farm, so we like, you know, the weird and the funny and, um, you know, all of that stuff. Do you have any weird or funny farm stories that you'd like to share <laughs> with us and the listeners? Well, you know, I was trying to rack my brain about, like, a funny story, and I feel like most of my day is spent, like, with my toddlers out there helping me, so there's lots of little funny moments, but there's not, like, a big story, but I think you were here the time when we were butchering the ducks, um, you came and helped us, and we had that duck that escaped. Oh my gosh, that was <laughs> the funniest thing ever. <laughs> So I'm do you want to sure. tell the story or do you want me to? <laughs> Let's, I want to hear your version of it, Bev, and I'll chime in. <laughs> so we were in the middle of processing the meat ducks and we were just taking them like three at a time and putting them in a dog crate nearby, like in the shade so that they could be easily um, accessed. And we were having uh, Brittany's husband, Justin, go get them out and put them in the cone so that we could, you know, get the dispatching started. And there's this one that he pulled out and it just like jumped out of his arms and then just went like sprinting off, quacking his little head off. And he oh. went straight for the pen where all of the other meat ducks were at. And he ran circles around that pen going quack, 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 quack. And we're like, oh my gosh, he's telling all the other ducks what we're doing. And all the other ducks inside in the middle like got all like Twitter paid in. They're like, ah, quack, 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 quack. And they're like all bumping into each other making all this noise. And we're like, come on, troublemaker. <laughs> I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure he's still on the farm today so no worries for the escapee we, I need to come up with a good name for him because he... maybe Houdini <laughs> yeah, and maybe we can one. think of like a famous escaped convict <laughs> oh. oh my god that's dark Bev <laughs> I know that's super dark it was funny we were standing there though we were like yeah I think we have to let that duck live because like it was pretty clever of him to figure out how to get away <laughs> oh yes he's it's like the British are coming the British are coming <laughs> pretty much <laughs> call <him> Paul Revere <laughs> oh that's a great name for him too I love that. I'm just on fire. I'm one beer in and I'm on fire. <laughs> well, that's usually the way this podcast works. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us, Brittany. We had a great time getting to talk to you and learn more about raising meat on your farm. And I forgot to say this at the beginning of the episode, but this is just the beginning of a series that we're going to do with Brittany. So we're going to have her back to talk specifically about each animal that she's raised and butchered on her farm because we think that we can really like deep dive and get into all the nitty gritty on how to really do that yourself if it's something that you're striving to do on your farm. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was a blast to talk about. No one's ever asked me to like dive deep into, you know, processing animals. So thank you. <laughs> Usually people give me a weird look when I want to talk to them about, you know, meat. <laughs> so. No, we're super pumped because we always like to learn things and we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And now you got your first podcast out of the way. So you're basically a professional. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! 
<laughs> now you can add podcaster after farmer on your resume. Ah, perfect. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, guys. We enjoyed getting to teach you guys a little more about raising meat on your homestead. And um, yeah, cheers. 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 <laughs>